Hello, and welcome to CEO Cafe. I'm your host, Spencer Walsh, and today we sit down with Matthias Tillman, the CFO of Trivago. Trivago is one of the leading hotel meta-search platforms, helping consumers around the globe find the best rates on hotels. In 2022, Trivago generated over 500 million euros in revenue and over 60 million euros in free cash flow. Matthias joined Trivago in 2016 and has served as the company's CFO since early 2020. I hope you enjoy the discussion. This interview is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. The host, Spencer Walsh, also serves as the managing member of Kinesic Capital LLC, an investment advisor based in San Francisco, California. All opinions expressed by Spencer Walsh and the guests in this interview are solely their own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Kinesic Capital LLC or the companies at which guests are employed or affiliated. This interview may also contain statements that are considered forward-looking under various securities laws. These forward-looking statements are based upon current market conditions and assumptions and involve risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially. Kinesic Capital LLC and its clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this interview, and nothing herein should be construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any securities. This interview does not intend to be complete or entirely accurate on any topic addressed, and the information discussed in this interview is provided as of the date of its publication and will not be updated. Well, Matthias, it's great to see you again. Thanks for taking time to come on and do this interview. Thanks for having me. So as I've gotten to know you over the past six months, I thought you'd be an interesting person to interview given Trivago is one of the cheapest stocks I've come across, particularly within the technology sector. I think as of market close on Friday, your shares were trading for less than two times cash flow. So I think that's a good place to start. Investors are clearly voting that this is a dying business, but I suspect you have a, a variant view. So is Trivago a rapidly melting ice cube, or do you believe the revenue and free cash flow of this business is durable going forward? Yeah, uh, I, I think to be honest, it's it's puzzling to see such low multiples we are trading at at the moment. Um, a, we did not benefit from one-off effects last year, which would explain our profits. It's also not the case that we were profitable for a short period of time and now expect a revision to the mean. Um, I believe um, what we are seeing is rather the outcome of continuous improvements that we started in 2019 already, so pre-COVID, and the pandemic just made it more difficult to see that. Um, we delivered uh, positive adjusted EBITDA numbers every single quarter for the past eight quarters, despite volatile markets and the aftermath of the pandemic. Um, we have a solid traffic, uh, direct traffic baseline, which is driving most of the contribution. And we continue to invest into brand marketing to grow that baseline. Um, so what I currently see is not a melting ice cube, um, but consistent growth of, of that baseline. Um, in addition, we invest into uh, performance marketing channels to drive more traffic to the platform, thereby generating data that help us fuel our marketplace algorithm and improve our product. However, performance traffic is not a big contributor to our profits. Um, there is some volatility in the amount of traffic we buy as it depends on our own auction and competitive dynamics in performance marketing channels. And I think some people from the outside confuse the resulting volatility in our revenue with gaining or losing market share. And I can't blame them as we are not disclosing our exact channel mix, but I would direct them to the consistent profits and free cash flows that we are generating. And uh, whenever we invest more into brand marketing to grow the baseline, we comment on it. So in summary, um, we do believe that the free cash flow is durable and our ambition is to grow it over time. So to your to your point there that from the outside, when investors look at just simply your financial statements versus some peers, it's easy to understand why they think this business is in maybe call it terminal decline. Um, today, called the business is roughly 35% lower from a revenue perspective than it was in 2019 pre-COVID. And that is 
in comparison to some of your peers, take TripAdvisor, for example, some of your peers have fully recovered from a meta search revenue perspective. So why is that the case? Why, why are you guys call it 35% lower versus some of your peers who have fully recovered from a meta search perspective? And, and what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I think this is largely the result of our own marketing optimizations over the last three years. When when I joined the management team in 2019, we shifted our focus from a pure growth mindset at any cost to a more balanced approach. Um, and the idea was to optimize our fixed and variable costs to sustainably grow our direct traffic base baseline. Then COVID happened and we had to restructure the business. And in 2020, we were busy with preserving our cash, but we never lost our focus and continued to optimize our marketing investments. Um, in hindsight, the pandemic even helped us to generate um, valuable insights. And yes, as a result, we have cut unprofitable spend. And consequently, we have not reached pre-COVID uh, revenue levels. But I think that we have rebased the business and 2019 levels are not that relevant anymore. Um, we want to grow our direct traffic from current levels, um, which are much more profitable than uh, what we saw pre-COVID. So that's clearly an area of misunderstanding by investors, uh, or at least disbelief by investors, which is they like to they took they take a look at your revenue and say, hey, this business is a third smaller, this is in terminal decline. You're saying we made a conscious decision back in 2018 to focus on profitability, albeit you're already profitable back then, just kind of marginally. And so you said, hey, let's let's increase our margins for the business. That means we're gonna have to pull back on advertising, pull back on paid traffic. Can you just talk a little bit more about it? exactly when that transition started, kind of where you are in that transition today and kind of what maybe the future looks like. Yeah, sure. I think that's a that's a good question. So historically, we have managed the business at EBITDA break-even um, and invested everything into growth, uh, mostly through marketing. Yeah? Um, that was when I joined the company in 2016, that was basically the blueprint. Um, but then already in 2017, we saw that the marginal effect of that extra spend was coming down. Um, we also saw that the industry was consolidating and that our large partners were slowly shifting away from a pure growth mindset to improving their own ROIs. Um, and in 2018, that led to a situation where we were forced to adjust our marketing investments uh, to the changing dynamics in our own auction. Um, and that was really the turning point when we said we need to find our own way and balance our investments. And we started with that in 2019. And then obviously the pandemic added a lot of noise to our numbers. So it's difficult to see what was going on um, from the outside. Um, but I believe you can clearly see the success now in, in our 2022 numbers. Um, in, in a nutshell, as I said before, we, we cut unprofitable traffic. And as a result, we are a smaller business measured in revenue, but more profitable. So um, there, there's a different balance in, in the growth margin profile um, compared to, let's say, five years ago. Um, but I do think um, we are done with the transition now. And um, from, from current levels, um, our ambition is to, to grow sustainably. And what I mean by that is um, not um, ramp up investments again and um, uh, sacrifice on, on current margins, um, but rather incrementally invest and grow with the market. Okay. Maybe another way to look at it would be and I know this is this is hypothetical, so it's challenging, but let's say pandemic never happened and you did this 
kind of focus on profitability strategy independently. What's your best guess as to where you think the business would be relative to where it is today, having actually gone through the pandemic and the steep recovery coming out of it? Yeah, I think that's a tricky question um, because I do think it's path dependent and um, the pandemic changed, um, the, the industry uh, changed, travel behavior. And um, what also changed is um, we invested a lot of um, money in, in brand marketing in 17, 18, 19. And then normally the biggest impact is of that spend is in the next three years. And we lost that in 2020, 2021, and to some degree also in 2022. So I think the, the shape uh, of, of our growth margin profile would have looked different, but the direction would have been the same. So directionally, I think um, we, we would have seen a decrease in revenue and increase in, in EBITDA. Um, and um, that was, again, that it was exactly the goal in 2019, uh, pre-pandemic. And um, we, we had that in mind for the next three years. Um, so I, I can't tell you uh, where we would have been now without the pandemic. Um, but directionally, I, I think we would have seen the same thing. Okay, that makes sense. I like the way you phrased it in terms of saying you've, in some ways, rebased the business over the last five years. Um, and so if you looked at the business today, roughly what percent of bookings, revenue, or profits would you say come from paid versus unpaid traffic? So you pull back on advertising in theory, more bookings, revenue, profit should come from call it repeat traffic, organic search, unpaid uh, traffic. What percent of bookings today come from kind of paid versus unpaid? How do you think that compares to call it five years ago? Yeah, so we do not disclose the channel mix. Um, so, so I cannot give you precise numbers, but what I would mention is that in 2018, we were spending a lot in brand marketing, which contributed to direct traffic um, or uh, as, as you call it, unpaid traffic. Um, but that's just because you can't directly attribute that to brand marketing spend. And in reality, there was a high share of um, brand spend driven traffic. Um, again, you just cannot measure it in the same way you can measure performance marketing uh, spend, for example. Um, so today, having cut some of, of this spend, which we believe in hindsight was, was not long-term profitable, the share of truly unpaid traffic, so what we call the, the um, brand baseline in the traffic, uh, in the direct mix is greater than, let's say, five years ago. And that's why, from my perspective, um, it's more sustainable what, what we see right now in, in our direct traffic. And sure and sweet, that's the explanation for why you believe Trivago is a more profitable business today. Is that fair? That is fair. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, so going forward here, what is your philosophy as CFO in managing the business? Are there certain margin targets that you're, you know, the, the business kind of ranged in a 15 to 20% adjusted EBITDA margin range for the last, um, you know, let's call it five, six quarters here. Are there certain margin targets or margin levels that you're committed to delivering going forward? Yeah, um, I mean, as I mentioned, I believe that we found a sustainable baseline post-COVID and we should be able to grow that baseline at margins that are significantly higher than pre-COVID. Um, and you mentioned the 15 to 20%. From my perspective, um, I think a healthy that, that's a healthy uh, adjusted EBITDA margin range for us. Um, we came out at the higher end of that range last year. Um, however, I do believe that um, in hindsight, we could have invested a bit more into brand marketing 
Uh, we also benefited from a strong auction uh, last year. So those factors were contributing to um, a strong margin last year. This year, we are seeing some normalization or auction. We started to ramp up brand investments as well. Um, and both um, are putting some pressure on our margins. However, I do believe that we should be able to stay in that range. And um, again, that is what I consider healthy and uh, sustainable for the business going forward. Okay, makes sense. And if you look at some of your publicly traded MetaSearch peers, TripAdvisor, for example, uh, their core business, so X, some of their other assets, but their core business today has, call it roughly 35% adjusted EBITDA margins uh, versus, as we just discussed, maybe say 15 to 20% for, for Trivago over time. In your view, is there room to close that gap or is there a structural reason why that gap exists between TripAdvisor's MetaSearch business and Trivago's MetaSearch business? Yeah, I don't think it makes sense to compare trips margins uh, with ours. Um, and why is that? Yes, the, the core meta search hotel business is very similar to our business. However, TripAdvisor built um, this product on the back of free traffic from Google, um, what we call SEO, whereas we have to invest to drive direct traffic. Um, and as a result, trip margins are closer to what you see in typical search businesses. Um, on the other hand, the model is highly dependent on Google and should Google continue to shift free into pay traffic, that could be a major headwind uh, for, for that business model. Um, so again, I, I believe that the 15 to 20% range uh, is very healthy for our business given our traffic mix. Um, and we should focus on increasing the direct traffic baseline. And if we are successful there, then that's um, not only um, um, a tailwind to, to the margin development, but it also diversifies you from, from Google and, and makes you more independent as a business. Okay. So that provides a good segue to move over to the competition side of things, which I think we can break into two buckets. One is Google, who's kind of the behemoth in the space. And I think is what most investors are, are so scared about. Second being kind of your other meta search players, your trip advisors, kayaks, et cetera. Um, but focusing on Google, if you had to take a guess, what percent of, with Google hotel ads, you know, what percent of the meta search market do you think Google already has today? And how do you think that compares to five years ago? As in just how much has Google meta search or Google hotel ads captured market share over the last five years? Yeah, um, it's, it's hard to say as I do not have perfect data on this. I mean, Google started to aggressively shift traffic into their own meta search product in 2017. So five to six years ago. Um, before that, their market share was insignificant. Um, it, it is interesting that even today, it is Google's choice whether the user goes uh, through their own meta search or a specialist like Chivago. Um, so they are gaining market share at the expense of their own adverts. Um, I mean, what we do to um, estimate market share. We look at the performance marketing spend of large online travel agencies like uh, booking.com or Expedia, um, and then look at our um, share of that bucket. Um, and that gives us a good indication for our own market share. It's not perfect, um, but it's a good indication. Um, and um, yeah, if, if you do that, uh, th then you can compare where, where do we stand today versus five years ago um it's harder to do that for google um given i don't have the 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 exact split between adwords and uh hotel ads 
you know, I've, I've tried to dive into this subject. And once again, it's opaque because you don't get great data from Google on the topic. But I've read some estimates out there that claim that Google might have called 60 to 80% market share in meta search. And I understand you can define that differently in terms of traffic or revenue, which obviously we don't know in this case. Does that strike you as way too high, too low, or you know, about right? Um, uh, I think the way we look at it, if, if you again take the, the large global OTAs and, and look at their um, performance marketing spend, then I think combining AdWords and um, Google hotel ads that that could be could be at around 70 to 80 percent I think that's that sounds reasonable to me that that makes sense and then you have um, other meters at uh, maybe 10 to 15 percent and then five percent uh, everything else but um, yeah that, that sounds about right to me okay gotcha and I guess the key question then is, if, you know, for a lot of investors who believe that MetaSearch is in terminal decline, you know, not just for uh, Trivago, but also TripAdvisor and other players. Um, the key question then becomes, is, is the Google headwind going forward stronger or weaker than it was historically? As in, to your point, Google started moving aggressively into MetaSearch in 2017, has captured a significant amount of share, TBD, how much, but clearly a significant amount of share over that time frame. Going forward here, are they going to continue to capture share in this industry and continue to squeeze out all the other players? Or do you think at this point they've captured enough share where they've reached a little bit of a balance? And, you know, there's a little context of obviously Expedia and Booking.com are some of the largest advertisers on Google, period. And then even the meta search players, you know, you guys plus uh, TripAdvisor plus Kayak probably spend, you know, 500 million to a billion annually advertising on Google. So they don't really have a huge incentive to completely make you guys go away. So I'm curious, like, do you think the Google headwind going forward is the same as it was the past five years or, or different? Yeah, I think five years ago, it was relatively straightforward for Google. Yeah? They could shift certain traffic segments into their own meta search product at literally zero cost. Uh, then it became a trade-off as they had to assess um, where they monetize better. AdWords is highly profitable for them. Um, so I believe every additional percentage point um, of traffic shifted to the meta search product is very expensive. Um, and that's why they, they need to um, balance that basically. It's, it's hard to say what that means for us. Uh, I mean, we continue to invest into brand and ideally capture the user before um, they even go to Google. Um, that's the best strategy in my view anyways. Um, but uh, I, I do think that um, uh, the low hanging fruits are, are basically gone and um, Google has a very different share of, of AdWords versus uh, hotel ads um, compared to a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, again, shifting more from one bucket to the other um, has to be carefully considered. Uh, if uh, the, the, optimization is for for um, uh, revenue and, and contribution on their side. Okay. Um, so there has been some regulation that's come up I mean, globally, obviously related to Google, um, but specifically in Europe, the Digital Markets Act uh, is hitting on Google, kind of preferencing its own products over, over other competitors. And they've got a whole section in that act about, about meta search and the impact there. Obviously TBD, how all this shakes out, but uh, a, do you think this could kind of shake out in Trivago's favor? And B, 
is this a near medium term kind of needle mover for Trivago or no, is the impact here still quite a ways out in the future and unpredictable? Yeah, I think the Digital Markets Act could be really an interesting one. So we have observed that Google has been less aggressive in Europe relative to the US in pushing their own meta search product. And um, obviously it's hard to tell from the outside, but the DMA or Digital Markets Act could be um, a key driver here. Um, Google has been identified as a gatekeeper and as such will have to present a solution to stop self-preferencing their own product. Um, but what this might mean for us and other meters is still unclear, um, but I guess we will find out soon. So um, timeline is that um, they, from what I, I know uh, as of today is that they have to present a solution soon and then it's up to the commission to um, assess whether um, that complies with, with the new regulation or not. But um, yeah, I, I don't think we need to wait uh, a lot longer to, to find out. Okay. So moving away from Google and focusing on the rest of your MetaSearch peers. Um, so, you know, some of the big guys, TripAdvisor and Kayak, Compared to them, obviously on a revenue basis, it seems like you've lost share against those players over the last, call it five years. Uh, but what complicates that, uh, or at least what complicates analyzing that data is the fact that you guys have made the shift towards profitability, pulled back on a lot of advertising spend. So versus some of your other MetaSearch peers, do you think you're gaining or losing market share? Call it, you know, all else equal or however you view it. Yeah. Um... I think that's similar to an earlier question you had. So I know it's a bit harder to read from the outside um, due to the volatility in pay traffic in, in particular. Um, and as you mentioned, in addition, we have shifted from a growth mindset to a more balanced approach. Um, I also think it is different by region. We are very strong in Europe and in uh, Southern America. Um, we are weaker relative to TripAdvisor, for example, in the US and um, than to others in, in Asia. Um, but post-pandemic, we focused um, our brand investments on certain markets and regions, and I believe this is paying off, meaning we are gaining market share in, in those countries. And um, yeah, that, that's basically how, how I look at it. Okay, so you view it as you think Trivago holds its own going forward here. You know, past five years aside, due to the, you know, it's kind of complicated to analyze, but looking forward, you feel like Trivago holds its own versus the other MetaSearch peers? Yes. Yeah. And I think that the pushback an investor might have on that would be, look, TripAdvisor has reviews to differentiate its platform, right? They've got proprietary reviews that gets them a lot, as you alluded to earlier, free traffic, which kind of ends up in results in them having higher margins. Um, what would you describe as Trivago's core competitive advantage today? And, and just like, what would be the argument for What's the competitive advantage and why it would defend market share going forward? From my perspective, we are currently delivering the simplest search experience. Um, and what I mean by that is our product is very clean, no distraction, no display ads, focused on accommodation, and it's very fast. So if you use the mobile version, for example, it's, it's very easy and uh, you very quickly get to, to what you're looking for. Um, in addition, we, we have the broadest coverage um, in, in certain markets and our brand equity is in hotels. Uh, Hotel Trivago is, is a very strong brand queue. Um, 
So we have a very unique data set for certain segments and use cases, and we are using that to drive uh, superior search results. Um, Kayak is different um, when, when you compare with that. Their, their brand equity is mostly in flights. It's also a US-centric business. Um, so for example, when I look at Europe and, and at their accommodation business, that is uh, much smaller than, than um, our own accommodation business in, in Europe. Um, yeah. So in short, Trivago brand, I, I, I was kind of running this math and trying to figure out cumulate over the years, how much you guys have spent on advertising and do some rough estimates of what's the split between brand and performance. And anyway, clearly you guys over the years have spent billions of dollars in advertising, you know, exact numbers. Um, don't even be said, pick your split between brand and performance, but clearly the Trivago brand carries a lot of value in certain markets. And a lot of people do start their travel search by just going to Trivago. And even here in the US, I'm always amazed by how many people I talk to say they start their search by going to kayak.com. Um, and, you know, as someone who frequently uses Google uh, to do a lot of this, I, you know, that actually strikes me as a little bit odd, but clearly it's a, a strong brand and clearly that brand resonates with people. And once people start using a product, they typically don't turn off it quickly unless there's a really good reason to. Does that kind of sum it up? Yeah, that, that's a very good summary from my perspective. Yeah. So um, maybe touching on a growth avenue here for Trivago that you guys have been focused on recently, which is the direct hotel booking initiative. Uh, via your partnership with in UBO Technology. Um, talk a little bit about how this is different than just sending traffic from Trivago directly to hotels, um, which I understand is they're actually making the booking through your website. So maybe talk a little bit about like why this is innovative, how you're getting that data. Uh, and then maybe talk a little bit about the monetization plan and timeline here. Yeah, sure. So first of all, um... Why are we connecting with independent hotels, given we have all relevant booking sites, including the major OTAs on our platform? Um, our core value proposition is to have all relevant rates and show our users the broadest set of options possible. Um, and the direct offer is very relevant in that context. Um, even if the hotel rate might be the same as um, on other major booking sites, some people prefer to book direct. That, that's what we can see from, from our um, uh, user research. Uh, other travelers at least like to have it as a reference point. So we have seen in the past positive conversion effects, um, even if the rate was not bookable. Um, however, the challenge in the past was to build out all these connections for the long tail inventory. Um, with UBIO, we now found a way to scale that process without a huge sales force. Um, and in, in the first phase, we, we have no commercial relationship with the hotel, but just expose their rates and maybe send them traffic for free. And uh, in, in this phase, our focus is on learning how this benefits our users. So again, look at conversions, look at engagement on the platform, look at short-term repeat rates, and, and there we do see um, positive effects. In the second phase, we will then look um, at how to integrate this product into our B2B product, um, upgrading our offering. Um, this won't happen this year though. We, we are focusing on increasing coverage first. And for us, it's a second step. And, and then the way we, uh, we might monetize it going forward is through our B2B offering that, that we have in place already today. So is that a... Is that a revenue headwind as you send traffic 
for free or bookings for free to independent hotels when the alternative would have been a customer would have maybe clicked and gone to that independent hotel through you know, Expedia or booking.com and you would have collected kind of a referral revenue there. Is, is, is this a revenue headwind as it's rolled out before you actually end up collecting uh, revenue via whatever method from the independent hotel base? Um, not necessarily. I How I think about it is um, there, there might be some um, testing costs uh, in, in the beginning. Um, but uh, as I said, we, we see positive uh, effects even if you don't send the user to the direct hotel. Yeah? So you, you have um, positive effects that might offset some of the users you send to a hotel for free. Um, but what is also happening is um, uh, some users, I mean, they don't click out and book direct. Yeah? They, they do research, they compare, they look at different sites. and. Um, what we have seen is when when we send users to independent uh, hotel websites, they they are more likely to come back and to continue the search on our page, which makes sense because there's no alternative. They they are just on the hotel landing page and they have one hotel one rate. Um, when we send them to an OTA, for example, they would show them alternative hotels. They um, uh, show them uh, other um, uh, options, and they have a good way of keeping the user in their system, and they are less likely to return to Trivago. Um, so by sending that first click maybe to the hotel, uh, we don't lose that customer, but again, there's a higher chance of that customer coming back. And when they do, they, they have a more informed view. They know what the direct offer is. Um, they have seen something and then continue their search. And by, by uh, going through that experience, we increase the booking conversion and then ultimately might be uh, might monetize that with with other partners and more efficiently because the booking intention is higher so there's a lot going on um and we can direct that we can uh, limit the traffic to a certain share of our customers um we we can make it clickable non clickable and um we uh, might shift how and and to whom we show, we show it and uh, all of this um all of those are levers for us to um impact the the revenue effect um so i i look at it more in a way like yes there might be some testing costs but they won't be material enough to to show up on on our overall results so you wouldn't recognize that and then in longer term um we we believe there's a good way to to monetize that and not only have the positive effect from from an increase in conversion rates and and repeat rates but also through B2B subscription uh, revenues. Okay. And in your view, how is your guys' direct hotel booking initiative different than uh, TripAdvisor instant bookings, which they, you know, at least if you went back five years or maybe even longer, it was a big initiative on their end. I think they pulled back a little bit from that. Like when you compare the contrast to how are they different? What are kind of the lessons learned from? TripAdvisor's venture into direct bookings that you feel like you guys can do differently or at least have a different outcome here? Yeah, I think it's a different product because uh, Instant Book was TripAdvisor branded. So you kind of, as a user, you kind of had the impression you're booking with TripAdvisor. So that, that's your uh, merchant of record. Um, we don't show up as a brand. It's not a uh, Trivago book, but it's um, it's a direct hotel offer. Yeah? So um we, we don't give the impression that you book with Trivago. We don't provide customer service. We don't um, process payment that's done by the um, hotel directly. 
So it's really just another rate and um, access your access to the um, hotel website. And, and yeah. that is the thing. Yeah. And the, the, cause the technology kind of allows you in a form to fill out information on a page that's kind of run by Trivago, or in this case, UBIO, yet that data then is kind of being filled into a form on the hotel's actual website and allows the booking to go through. Is, is that how the backend technology works? Exactly. That, that's um, a way to uh, um, simplify it. Um, but that's exactly what's happening. So what we are doing, um, providing a seamless checkout funnel so that um, we increase conversion and not having the user go through um, messy different landing pages every time, but have one uh, unified uh, checkout funnel. But in the end, we, we pass on the data to the hotel and, and they collect the, the user data. Okay, so even even though this is going to be on a page, um, which is being run by Trivago, it's going to be actually, as you alluded to, branded the hotel. Yes. Okay, gotcha. And th and that's obviously differentiated versus what Trip was doing, where Trip you were booking on a page that pretty much said TripAdvisor instant book for this hotel. This is going to be a page that almost appears like it's the hotel's own website, but the goal being it's run by you guys with your partnership with UBIO, and therefore you think you get better conversions on it to the independent hotels? Correct. Okay, okay, interesting. Um, and as, as you do move into the instant book, uh, which I understand you know, might not be a needle mover this year, but but could be in, in the years ahead, um, what's the risk there of, call it, competing with your largest customers today? That's always been the trade-off on the direct booking initiative. You know, Expedia and booking, I think, today represent about two-thirds of Trivago revenue. Um, and Expedia is obviously a large shareholder in um, in Trivago today. So is there a risk as you move into that, that you kind of risk upsetting your core customer base? They kind of pull back on ads on your platform? Or do you view it as it could be more symbiotic? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. I think it's also, there's a misunderstanding. I mean, uh, I've read articles where um people said uh, we are disintimidating OTAs. I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah? The, the idea is not to go in direct competition with our largest partners. I think the opposite is true. I believe uh, that, as I explained before, it could help us to qualify our users more and thereby increase the conversion, conversion making the traffic more valuable for our partners. Um, so ideally, it will help to be a more efficient channel for, for our partners. And... Um, uh, again, it's the idea is not to uh, go into direct competition and move traffic away from the OTAs to um, the independent hotels uh, directly. It's more providing the full transparency uh, to the user, showing the different rates, um, showing the different booking options, and uh, having them uh, making a, a, an informed and um, and confident. Uh, view to to exercise their, their booking okay so if someone was using the direct booking route is, is there still a way is there still a way where expedia or booking captures revenue there or you send direct bookings directly to them or no do, do the direct bookings pretty much always circumvent um you know the other ota players no, I, I think in the end i mean what, what's happening we we run a marketplace um we run um millions of auctions every day and um the share that you mentioned two two third of uh, of revenue coming from two partners is the outcome of of that auction yeah? 
And um, when I joined the company in 2016, it was already at uh, two thirds. Um, and uh, back then we were growing 50% plus and the share didn't change. Um, then as we discussed before, we, we shifted our focus on profitability and the share didn't change. And even the pandemic, it, it didn't really change. Yeah. So, um, and it's, we, we don't actively manage that. And I firmly believe we should not do that. We run a marketplace and um, it's, it's the outcome of, of that. And we have to make sure uh, that every partner, that's a level, a level playing field and that every partner can participate. Um, and um, uh, then the outcome of, of the share is, is not in our control. Okay. Um, so this interview, you want to be complete if we didn't touch on some of the new management team that was just brought in. Um, you're obviously staying as a CFO, but a um, whole new suite of executives were brought in, including a new CEO, Johannes, and uh, Rolf, one of the original co-founders of Trivago, is uh, plans to come back and, and join the board. So from your view, um, what do you think the catalyst was for the change here? Um and kind of what should uh, what should investors expect in terms of more of the same, or is a new radical new strategy going to be kind of or a new playbook going to be rolled out here at Trivago? Yeah, so I, I think the catalyst was that our former CEO Axel Eva decided to not stand up for re-election for another term. His contract was running out, and after seven years or almost seven years with the company, he decided it was time for a new challenge. Um, I personally have learned a lot from Axel over the past seven years, and I'm grateful that I could work together with him. Um, but now it's time for a new chapter, and it's great to see that Rolf is back uh, as well um, in his capacity of, of a board member. I enjoyed working with him when he was still active. Um, he is a visionary founder who has built a great company culture, and uh, I'm sure he can support the new team uh, by participating in, in our board discussions. Um, the team came in with the intention to listen and understand what has changed during the pandemic. Um, that is consistent with what I'm seeing right now. Um, it's a bit early to, to tell what this means for the strategic direction going forward, but I do think we have a plan for 2023 and we continue to uh, execute against that. And um, from a financial perspective, our guidance has also not changed. So I, I think in, in the short term, I, I wouldn't expect big changes, um, but more um, uh, focus on, on the execution ahead of the summer season. Okay, so I understand lots in the air, but do you think um, from a profitability perspective, do you think the new team will kind of maintain Trivago's focused on you know a healthy balance between growth and profitability and defending some of those healthy margins you guys have put up in the last couple of years? Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Um, so moving over to the to the stock price a little bit, um, you know, Trivago is in a pretty unique position today in terms of you know the company's market cap is approaching its its net cash balance, and you know I, I've certainly seen this. Uh, there were a host of new issuances from 2020 to 2022, a, a lot of which have performed quite poorly in the technology space, and seen a lot of unprofitable stocks seeing their market caps approach cash or in some cases trade below it. Trivago is a little unique in the fact that you guys have very healthy profit margins today. Yeah, your market cap is still approached cash. And so that leaves the business today trading less than two times cash flow from a, you know, from a enterprise value standpoint or market cap X cash. So um, with the stock, <clears throat> with the stock price this low, 
and the implied enterprise value is so low, it, it seems clear to me that the large net cash balance is clearly an overhang on the stock. I think a lot of investors look at Trivago and they say, maybe I think it shouldn't trade for two times cash flow. Maybe the enterprise value should double. But if the enterprise value doubles, the market cap only goes up by 20, 30%. And therefore, that's not particularly compelling from an investment case. Um, albeit you do have good downside protection with that cash balance. Um, but key question is, given the incredibly low valuation today and that the fact that the cash is a little bit of an investment overhang on the stock, should Trivago be returning more capital to shareholders today? Yeah, I think everything you just said is is correct. Uh, and it is something um, we we are actively looking at. We we know that uh, for new potential investors, the, the capital structure is not ideal. I mean, in the past, uh, we have opportunistically done some buybacks. Um, end of last year, we uh, repurchased 5% um, of shares back from from one of the co-founders um i mean i cannot rule out that we um do more of that uh, if uh, there is um uh, the the option to do so i mean simplifying from my perspective essentially you have um uh, two options one is buying back shares and the other one is you can also distribute uh, cash via a special dividend or um, a continuous dividend um Super high level, from my perspective, it makes more sense to buy back shares when you believe that your stock is undervalued. Um, however, you also want to make sure there's enough liquidity in the stock. That has been an issue in the past um, uh, for us and, and buying back shares might make the liquidity even, even worse. Um, but overall, I believe um, that our uh, stock is, is currently undervalued. So buying back shares is a op uh, viable option. And um, yeah, it's something we, we are looking at. Okay, makes sense. And I guess last question here, um, and this is a, a longer term one, but looking out three to five years from now, uh, what's your best guess as to how Trivago is, is different from today? It's a bigger, smaller business, more or less profitable, new revenue lines you guys have developed, you know, longer term view here, how's Trivago different? Yeah, that's a difficult question. For that, I need my crystal ball, <laughs> obviously. Um, but I mean, since I joined the company in summer 2016, a lot has changed. Yeah? The industry, online penetration levels, travel behavior, even we as a company, how we run the company, um, company culture has slightly changed. Um, we've grown up as a company um, uh, through our IPO. Um, today, everybody talks about new ways to engage users through generative AI. So I, I think three to five years is a long time. Uh, a lot can and will certainly happen. Um, but I'm confident, I'm very confident in our unique value proposition and that we can continue to go uh, grow our direct traffic baseline sustainably. Um, that means that we should be a bigger and more profitable business in the future. Um, and right now we are focusing on our core product. Um, however, we are also always looking at new ways to change or even transform our business model. Um, so I cannot rule out that we will see new revenue lines in the future, though there's nothing I currently see in the near term. So again, focus near term is more on, uh, on the core business. Um, but I think one big benefit we have is that um, we are uh, a relatively small company. We can adapt fast and, and we should um, should innovate when we see the opportunity. 
and by doing so, uh, so be be faster than uh, large companies that cannot move as quickly. And and that's what we are trying to focus on. Okay, sounds good. Well, uh, Matthias, those were those were most of my questions here. Any and uh, any closing comments from your side? No, th thank you very much. That was uh, great fun, and I think uh, great questions uh, you ask. I'm I'm sure travel um online travel will continue to be very exciting in in the next not only couple of months but quarters and years ahead and and we're excited about the opportunity and uh i'm i'm happy to um yeah uh, play a role in that at, at trivago in in the next couple of of years absolutely no i i greatly enjoy getting to know you matthias i find you're uh kind of a breath of fresh air in terms of your you know honesty and direct answers and um you know, wish you the best of luck building Trivago here over the next couple of years. So thank you very much for taking time this morning. Thank you.